God, thank you for your word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word might be life and joy to us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Lenten season, each week, we're going to look at a different theme, uh, a different practice that Scripture invites of us. A number of you are in small groups where you're, you're spending time during the middle of the week to look a little more deeply at this a particular theme. And this past week, many of you would have then looked at the theme of celebration or joy. This coming week will be the theme of study. But for today, this Sunday, we will finish our considerations on the theme, again, of celebration, or in particular, joy. And we begin by hearing from our Old Testament scripture, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joyful, joyful. And now a word from James on joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. My birthday falls on December 14th. And every December 14th since 2012, I have cried on my birthday. And not because I am getting older, but because on December 14th, 2012, I was in Peru in a hotel on a treadmill. I had set it to just the right pace and just the right incline so I could get a decent workout but still enjoy the news. And a few moments in, the news shifts abruptly to reports that are coming out about gunfire and children being shot at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And my legs gave out. My arms caught the railing for a moment. So when the treadmill did in fact throw me off of it, I didn't fall to the ground, but I stumbled back. And standing behind that treadmill commenced year one of these December 14th tears that have gotten larger the past two with Leo in our lives. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. 
My brothers and sisters, when the ground beneath you gives way, consider it nothing but joy. My brothers and sisters, when the phone call comes, when the test results are given, when the job is eliminated, when care for your child or your aging parents moves into the kind of space or decisions you did not foresee, my brothers and sisters, when your country is torn along ideological lines, the government paralyzed the children dying at the hands of gunfire, or more succinctly, back to James. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. This strikes us as horribly insensitive and perhaps entirely wrong-headed, because this week, no, not, not joy. No, no, this week... We are broken, we are angry, we are numb, we are guilty, we are pained, we are anxious, we are overburdened by the trials in our own lives, by the trials of our country. Surely joy is for another Sunday. And yet the Bible presses us on this point. The psalmist declares, this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice And be glad in it. Yes, but do you know what happened today? Did you hear the news? Were you there when the phone call came? Do you know what the family's going through? Some days we will rejoice and be glad. But this day, no matter what this day is. Paul picks up on the psalmist's rhetoric as he writes from prison, of all places, in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Always. Jesus, on the cusp of betrayal and going to the cross, tells his disciples that his desire is that my joy might be made complete in you. Or again, Jesus, you know the Sermon on the Mount, it famously begins with that blessed are litany. That Greek word for blessed strongly suggests the word joy. It would not be wrong to translate, as some translations do, it would not be wrong to translate blessed are as joyful are. Joyful are those who mourn. Joyful are those who are persecuted. The truth is, time and again, the Bible exhorts, commands, and declares joy, and often right next to realities like prison and trials, mourning and betrayal. Whatever we mean by joy, something about it is very much at home in the darkness. Perhaps we begin to think, perhaps we need to consider afresh what we mean by joy. And a moment of levity the other night helped me appreciate a bit more what we might mean by joy. The other night I was leading one of uh, the... Lenten small groups that a number of you are a part of, and if you were in one of those groups, you know that you looked at, you studied, you considered joy and celebration. And I asked folks at the beginning of this this gathering to name the ideas and images they have that are associated with the word joy for them, and they named a host of very interesting and illuminating images and ideas. But one person shared a story. He talked about how in his church growing up, he remembered how every Advent season... Leading up to Christmas, there was always one Sunday in December where there was not 
a sermon. At their church, that particular Sunday was entirely music. And it always fell on the joy Sunday in Advent. And he didn't understand the whole Advent calendar thing, how there are four different candles that represent four different themes in Advent. And so for the longest time, he figured that it was Joy Sunday because finally, one Sunday a year, there was not a sermon. Just music. Perhaps we shall not know joy this morning. And yet, point well taken. There is something about music that approximates whatever we mean by the word joy. Something about the way music helps us name something bigger, deeper, more substantive than maybe words alone can always get at. We intuit that something about music and joy go together. And I might even push that a bit further. Do you have a hymn or a song that when, when we sing it here or you hear it here, or, or maybe there's that song it plays on the radio, or maybe the band, they come back for the encore and they play that song. Do you have one of those and right away you immediately go to 1952 and that dance. 1999 and her funeral. 1985 and the wedding. 1967 and the childhood. Or maybe, more generally, perhaps you have a song or two that takes you every time to that person, that event, that memory. Do you know these songs? Do you have some of these songs? And the truth about those kind of songs is that as rich as they are with memory and love, aren't they always accompanied by a sense of ache? there is the sense that the person or memory associated with the song is at one time so full in us and then somehow just out of reach. How we love that song, but, but when it plays, there's also an ache for that person, that memory, that reality that somehow is elusive and beyond our grasp. Ache is one of the key aspects of joy. I think we overlook and do not consider as often. I like how C.S. Lewis narrows in on this point in his book, Surprised by Joy. It's the story of his conversion from agnosticism to Christianity. Joy, he writes, that sharp, wonderful stab of longing. It produces longing that weighs heavy on the heart. It dashes in with the agility of a hummingbird. It pricks, then vanishes, leaving a wake of mystery and longing behind it. Joy, that sharp, wonderful stab of longing that pricks so fully in the moment, even as there is an ache and a longing. Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it pure joy. Part of what is invited there is an honest aching. A weeping. But when we talk about joy, the ache we have is not simply a raw pain, but it is an ache for God to show up and God's vision to be known among us on earth as it is in heaven. 
the ache is part of joy. How heavy the ache is this day for God's vision in Isaiah to show up on earth as it is in heaven. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days. Or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth. The ache is a recognition that the trial before us, the pain, the injustice, the darkness that has fallen upon us is too much and too wrong and too beyond us and we need, we ache for Jesus to show up on earth as it is in heaven. Inherent to any real experience of joy is the ache. And truth be told, that part of joy is not easy. Many times we are thrown from that treadmill of life when we receive the test results, we lose the job, we see another shooting. Something breaks in our city, our family, our church, and in that moment we are tempted to just deny the trials even going on, not admit it's an issue, grin, pretend to get back on that treadmill, nothing wrong here, we're going to press on. Or we're tempted to just go numb Busy on autopilot. Or we know the ache's there and so we act quite quickly to fill it. We will eat our ache away. We will drink our ache away. We will drug our ache away. We will shop our ache away. We will do all of these things that very distantly approximate joy but somehow never get near the real thing. In fact, the more those kind of pleasures become our regular diet for the void the more we are pulled away from joy, the more we slowly die within. Joy risks the ache. Which is terrifying. But joy also knows something profoundly filling. I like how the British author Zaid Smith puts it in a piece she entitled Joy when describing a trip that she took with her little child to the Holocaust Museum. You were holding my feet on the train to the bus that would take us there. We were heading toward all that makes life intolerable. Feeling the only thing that makes it worthwhile. We were headed toward that which makes the soul ache deeply for another reality. Ah, But did you hear how she extends the definition of joy beyond only the ache? We were headed toward all that makes life intolerable, feeling the only thing that makes life worthwhile. Joy, she names, is simultaneously ache and the overwhelming presence of love. Joy is the paradox of ache and presence. Ache and presence. More precisely for Christians, joy is the longing we have for Jesus and his love and his justice and his way to be made known fully in our hearts and in our trials even as we experience the presence 
of Jesus. Joy is the ache for more of Jesus and his way, even as we receive the promise and goodness of Jesus. Such is the paradox of an encounter with God. Importantly, unlike pleasure or happiness, the overwhelming presence of God's love that we would call joy, it cannot be manufactured, it cannot be produced. We can't kind of put it together. Joy is fundamentally, foundationally a gift. Galatians 5 Verse 22, we looked at it last week. The fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit does in and through us, that the Spirit does, not us, the Spirit does. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. We can have a beautiful sanctuary. We can get the music just right. We can sit next to all of our favorite people. There is no guarantee, no promise of joy. We can have the perfect food, Great party atmosphere, lots of drinks, no guarantee of joy. To be sure, we can create space in our lives to open ourselves to joy and that gift. Prayer surely is one of the most foundational ways in which we do that because in prayer what we are doing is opening ourselves to the living God who is himself joy. Prayer and joy most definitely go hand in hand, but be careful, you cannot manufacture prayer either with just the right words to have the deep feeling of joy every time. In fact, as soon as we try to create joy, make it happen with just the right church programming, just the perfect worship atmosphere, the perfect planning, the perfect food, the perfect attitude, the the perfect prayer Right there, you lose the possibility for joy because joy, by definition, is a gift. To have joy is in part to ache for God's presence to cover us in this land. And to have joy is in part to receive into that ache the gift of God's presence. And strength. Did you catch Nehemiah? The joy of the Lord is my strength. When we know the living presence of God, that joy is strength. And so what we receive is not simply God's abiding presence sort of holding us through the mess, but also a kind of strength to grow, to endure. The kind of strength James goes on to talk about that, that, that can mature into a wholeness, a completeness, a maturity. I read a story this past week about a, a teacher. She asked her fifth grade class every Friday afternoon to take out a piece of paper and on that piece of paper they're to write the names of four students with whom they would like to sit at table with next, uh, next week. The children know these requests may or may not be honored. She also asked on that piece of paper for each of the uh, students to nominate someone who seems like they, it would be appropriate for them to be citizen of the week in the classroom. All the ballots are then privately submitted. And once the children have gone home for the weekend, the teacher takes out these slips, places them in front of her on the desk, and she studies them. She looks for patterns. Who's not getting requested by anybody else? 
Who can't think of anyone to request? Who never gets noticed or nominated? Who had a million friends last week and this week? It's crickets. For this teacher, the exercise has nothing to do really with seating charts and voting on exceptional citizens. She is looking for which children are struggling to connect with other ones. Which ones are being forgotten? Which ones are falling through the cracks or going unnoticed? Which ones are possibly being bullied? She's looking for patterns that might tell her something about the heart of her students. A parent When she learned about this system and the way the teacher was so attentive not only to the studies but to the the students, the parent asked, well, how, how long have you been doing this? Since Columbine. Every single Friday since Columbine. That day created within this woman a profound ache. And what bubbled from those tears was this idea that, that so much of where violence begins is in a space of disconnection and inner loneliness. She would do whatever she could do in her own power to stop the next mass shooters. She would attend to the children in her care with a different creativity and attentiveness. When we are thrown from the treadmill of life that we have set just so, and we know trials of any kind, consider it pure joy. Which is to say, consider it a space to ache Freely, not racing away to fill the void, pretend the void's not there, try to just get back to how it was. Consider it space in which somehow we allow ourselves to ache for the gift of Jesus to show up. And honestly, he is so very much at home in the darkness. Consider it the space in which then we might also be open to receiving the gift we cannot manufacture, but is so faithful in the darkness. And finally, as with the teacher, in time, consider it an opportunity for the living God to do within us and among us what we cannot do, to lead us where we would not have otherwise gone, to strengthen us to go in the way of Jesus with renewed energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. May we this day risk opening ourselves and aching for Jesus. May we risk opening ourselves and receiving the faithful gift of Jesus and may the joy of Jesus so strengthen us as individuals and as a body and as a nation that we become the joy of Jesus in this world. Amen.